the PCAM podcast, recorded at Wave Studios, a sound design and mixing facility with a worldwide reputation for audio excellence. The Hi there, welcome to another PCAM podcast. Uh, my name's Blair, I'm joined by usual um, with Tony, Augusta, Chris and Sally. Um, feel free to find out more about us and PCAM on the PCAM website. Now, today we're going to be talking about royalties and publishing, which I must confess when I first entered this industry is something that I knew very little about and I found really sort of mind-boggling, to be honest, because it is can, it can get quite complex. Um, now, who would like to lead the conversation on what exactly a royalty is and how that's generated? Do you want to start off, Chris? Yeah, uh, a royalty is very simple. In terms of what we do, I mean, there are two types of royalty, mechanical royalty and performing royalty. Uh, I think we can leave mechanical royalty because mechanical royalty is something that applies when you mechanically copy something, so for you produce a CD or whatever. But for the sake of what we're talking about, it's really the performing royalty that we're talking about. So s- very simply, the copyright owner of a work is entitled to a performing royalty theoretically every time the work is broadcast, performed effectively. Um, that be that on the radio or the television or whatever. But there, <laughs> there are obviously, you know, the devil is in the detail here. The truth of the matter is that in today's diverse media environment, some outlets will pay you theoretically for every performance so if you're on terrestrial television for for example they report to the performing rights society a comprehensive 100 percent list of playlist of everything that's performed and mm-hmm. as long as you're a member you should be a member of the prs if you're a composer very important uh, very important and you register your works equally important which, which you, you can, can do, do online, online. Yep. it may look a little daunting to begin with but it actually if you work your way through it it's 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 not rocket science at the end of it so if your works are registered and you are a member um you will get a royalty for let's say domestic terrestrial broadcasts in the uk you will get a royalty on some of the broadcasts that you may have on a satellite or cable uh, outlet. The reason that you don't get it on every one is that a lot of uh, a lot of stations are sampled rather than giving a complete list of everything. So what happens is that Sky Sports, for example, might be might be sampled six days a month. And if you hit that sample, you'll be paid. And what happens is that it, you get a multiplier. So for mathematical simplicity, if it's six days a month and you hit the sample, there will be a multiplier of five, So as if it were the entire month. Um, obviously, the smaller channels will be sampled less because they sample them less because they're their license is related to their revenue. So if you're on a very esoteric channel, which has a very small advertising revenue, their license will be very small and therefore their sample will be smaller Mm. and the rate that you get will be lower. Uh, PRS does publish a comprehensive, fairly comprehensive list of the rate card for what the value of a performing royalty is on each channel that you're going to be playing. Yeah, it is. Um, The problem... The problems begin more, as it were, when you start to go abroad. 
um, because things change. And like, you know, if you're Robbie Williams with a song, if it's Angels, you know, it remains Robbie Williams' Angels wherever in the world it's performed. Unfortunately, if it's a deodorant, the name may change, the product name may change, the title of the film may change, and all of the things that follow it, like, for example, the clock number, which maybe Tony will talk about in a minute. For his, uh, so with, But, I mean, in the UK, we have a thing called the clock number, which is when a film is clocked, you actually see the clock ticking up to zero when it begins and if you look on that 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 pre-roll as it were you'll see a number and that is the clock number and it's a unique identifier um unfortunately those things don't necessarily travel with the film so a lot of the things which would travel in the uk don't travel abroad so um, in terms of publishing, it might be advisable if you're doing a lot of work which is travelling abroad, particularly to in specific territories. France pays more in royalties probably than most other territories. You might want to consider having a sub-publisher that looks after your interests in that territory. Um, you will find that many um, overseas uh, collection societies will pay you as a writer and then will hold on to the publisher's share. Um, because you don't have a local sub-publisher and then you have to chase that later, which is a drag. Um, there's a lot of things to be said, but I'm sure I've spoken enough in this moment. Well, I mean, that's so a, a fantastic introduction to, you know, <laughs> what exactly royalty is and, and very concise, I would say. Um, Tony, have you got anything to say about clock numbers and all clock that jazz? Numbers. Well, the, when you do um, a track for an agency, the, when a film is made, it, the script has to be passed by... It often changes them. I think it's currently... It's, it used to be the BACC. It's now... Clearcast is yes. the is the people who do it now, and they have to stamp the script. And this is to check the script for blasphemy, for things that might offend people, uh, and all those sort of things. And the script will then get stamped with a number, which is the clock number, and that will then go onto the film. So that holds it all together. And with that information, it's meant to go with the composer, the producer, the copyright owner, and so on. Um, and that information is then given to people like the PRS and to um, television stations, so broadcast details can then all be tied up. It's not an infallible um, system, and we're working towards trying to watermark music, which will make everything a lot more easy, but not easier to track. And there are already several... Um, companies like TuneSat and various other ones who for, so there's lots of them that for a fee will you can send your music to and they will try and track the broadcasts um, and it's becoming more and more of a sort of a, a, a sensible thing but, but the trouble with all this is that, that there's no one system so as a result it, the, at the moment it's all very fragmented and what everyone could do with really is one system that, that everyone uses. Well, having said that, there's a big there's a big initiative going on at the moment um, called the Global Repertoire Database, uh, which is an attempt to actually, I mean, okay, it's for pop music as well as much for other things, but mm. but it's an attempt to sort of unify the data so that data can't be randomly altered for, at various points around the globe. That basically what goes stays, and uh, it's an in enormous initiative. I mean, in terms of, you know. The collection societies are aware of the fact that we're in an environment now where you get more, where they're fielding millions and millions of payments from outlets that never existed years ago, and that they're tiny payments, so it's micro payments. And what they've realized is that the old system by which they collected it was not fit for purpose because obviously it was very mechanical, very manual. And if you're getting a fraction of a penny, for a play you can't afford to have somebody physically flicking through pieces of paper to try and figure out who wrote it so they have been compelled to respond to this environment by 
creating or attempting to create s- systems that aren't sort of manually laborious and 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 therefore make it economically worthwhile to deal with micropayments so this is the way forward and clearly you know it's a constant state of flux and development but it's 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 um it, it, it's the way it's going i mean the important thing is as far as a composer is concerned is to make sure that a their stuff is registered with the mcps and prs and b that you give the agency the agency has all the proper details because quite often people don't bother to let the agency know yeah. um, and therefore on the consignment notes the wrong wrong things are written down so if you do your bit and even if you have a publisher it's worthwhile you keeping an eye on your stuff um, because it, you know, particularly if it's a big publisher, you can get lost amongst them. I would recommend anyone sort of starting off to do their own registrations or their own chasing in the UK, because frankly, you you have much more concern about your mm. stuff than anyone else, mm-hmm. and you also know where your stuff's being played out, mm. which mm. Uh, a lot of people don't. Overseas, as Chris says, it's a different thing because obviously you can't monitor it so easily. But as you know, that if somebody pays you to to license your track overseas, it is being played in that territory, and therefore. You know, you should be due some money from that territory. Not all territories overseas pay royalties on commercials, but the majority do. And again, you can get lists of that from the PRS. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say actually was about licensing to overseas territories because often when you do a track, um, they will know in advance that they want it for a certain number of overseas territories. Um, sometimes, I mean, I had a client for a long time um, who wanted a license for all moving media worldwide for one year, which is great, except you don't know where that's going to go. And, and then it becomes tricky to find out where it's been. But I mean, one of the things you need to do is to remember to do when you license them, because very often when you license things overseas, it will happen after the after you've delivered it after it's been in the UK it will subsequently somebody says oh we need it in Kazakhstan or Poland or God knows and then you will issue a license a usage license for that territory for the period required it's important that you then actually register that again with PRS so that they understand that it's gone to that territory and that they can chase it if royalties then fall due when they fall due or you can chase it and it's complicated because obviously there's a lead time so for example i think greece you know are sort of six years behind so if you license something to greece you've got to actually put yourself a memo for six years down the line to make sure that you've got your royalties and if you haven't so that's complicated and obviously it pays to be really on top of it to maybe develop some little software thing that enables you to do that but it is important that you help them to track and also get the information i mean it's very hard sometimes to get you know who where it's being played the stations the periods the dates but as much information the more information you can get about this the more likely you are to see a, a royalty return yeah. I wanted to add something yeah. actually to this um, and yeah hark back to the PCAM licenses which uh, when you download one of them as a member from the PCAM website it will give you scope to log all the territories that that particular track is being played in so you can keep keep a tab on it basically and you, you re- I think some composers who are not using those contracts and licenses will completely miss that opportunity and not necessarily even have the knowledge to make sure they know which territories Absolutely. that's being played in and for how long and even the importance of asking at the time what is this license for how long is it going to run where is it going to run you need all of that information and don't be scared to yes. ask it and the clock numbers and it and it also um, it provides the opportunity to inform the client very clearly of the composer's details um, which I think Tony spoke about right at the beginning because they need that information 
at their end for their consignment note. And without that, the two bits of information do not meet up in the middle. And that's when money goes astray. I think it's one of the most frustrating and mind-boggling and infuriating aspects of what we do, actually. I think the thing that amazed me when I first moved into this area of the industry is that it is so imperfect. Um, And for something that is such an important income stream for composers, to be so totally fallible um, and... I remember the attitude always used to be, well, if you see some PRS money, then that's a bonus, but never rely on it. Mm-hmm. And that's how it used to be, absolutely crazy. And I mean, I I think things are getting better, but you really have to stay on it because it's a very, very important imp- important income stream. Mm. PRS have got a lot better than they mm. were. They I mean, have. Yeah. Their members, if you um, email them... Thanks to PCAM. Them, yes, yes, thanks to PCAM. If you, if you email their members department, they're actually very good at A, replying to you almost instantly, and B, actually getting on and doing something about mm. your query. Mm. So they are, uh, they used not to be, but they're now pretty helpful, actually. Yeah. I, I can tell you that, I mean, anecdotally, a few years ago, I was on a P- PRS panel and um, somebody announced proudly that they had collected that year, in terms of royalties for commercials overseas, a total of £47,000, and I pointed out that £42,000 had gone to me from one co- one country for one commercial. Wow. So that represented five grand for everything else for the rest of the world. And there was I was told subsequently that that was a tipping point because they went away and thought, wow, we've got to do something. Now, I can say, honestly, and I've been on the board of PRS since then, and, and that, that it's a big... Their foreign growth strategy is one of the most important things. Their overseas growth strategy is the, is the linchpin of a lot of their things that they do, of their forecast for growth of the future. And, I mean, the figures attached to overseas royalties for commercials now are a million. Yeah, quite substantial. I mean, so so really, the, from forty whatever it is, I mean, those numbers are slightly off the top of my head, but you know, from what was actually not a whole heap of corn to actually quite a substantial amount of money. So, it is increasingly worth keeping track of what you're doing. And as a composer, I mean, if you do a, not that many mainstream UK TV mm-hmm. stroke internet commercials, you can expect to get an income of twenty thousand plus a year out of PRS. Mm. Yep. Um, so it's a, it is a very worthwhile worthwhile stream of income. Yeah, well, that was actually going to be my next question for people who are you know starting out. Usually, the first thing they want to know is how much money am I going to make? I from mean, doing a small <laughs> a small commercial will make sort of. I'm talking about the composer side, not right, the publisher yeah. side, because if you talk about the publisher side, then you obviously just double the money up. But I mean, a small commercial you can expect to get a grand mm-hmm. in, and and a and a well played out commercial you could expect to get three to six to eight to ten thousand. Yeah, and of course so, you're going to get your fee on top of that as yeah, well. Yeah, this is uh, just is our income just for your royalties. Yeah, and so of course if you do five or six of those a year, you, it's quite a substantial amount of money. So more than worthwhile, mm-hmm. and also this is kind of as a composer, it's you have to take responsibility for this because uh, advertising agencies there's varying levels of producers who may or may not know all of this information and may or may not register things correctly and certainly won't care yeah and they (laughs) definitely won't care as much as you do so uh, educate yourself and, uh, yeah. I, I agree, and hopefully that Reap has been the rewards. Yeah, hopefully that's been very educational from our listeners. And um, we're just going to wrap it up there, unless anyone has any final comments. 
Um, okay, so thank you very much for um, listening to another PCAM podcast. It's important to point out, I think, like we said earlier, that PCAM were uh, instrumental in making sure that uh, royalties are paid on adverts, and we worked quite closely with PRS to make sure that that happens, and that's just part of what we do at PCAM. You can find out more by going to the PCAM website or joining us on Twitter and Facebook. And finally, um, we're going to say our final uh, meme Wave to wave. Wave, wave to wave. wave. Big wave to wave. Big thanks. And wave to Tom as well, who is um, kindly producing our podcast for us. Um, and we will see you next time on the PCAM podcast. The PCAM podcast.